Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. The Result Podcast is brought to you by Preferred Capital Funding. PCF provides loans to your clients, all while providing the highest level of customer service and continuing to be 100% attorney referral based. If you have a client in need of a loan, please contact me at jason at pcfcash.com. Now let's hear from attorney Sidney McClafferty of Geyser, Bowman and McClafferty in Columbus, Ohio, about how PCF has been able to serve her and her clients. My clients have greatly appreciated having an attorney who has the resources to meet their needs quickly. PCF is a fast and accessible resource for my clients, allowing me to provide solutions to their most urgent concerns, whether that be funding for continuation of health insurance or money to replace a car so they can return to work. It's truly been a lifesaver for some. Today, the Result Podcast is proud to welcome Steve Phillips of Phillips Law Offices in Chicago, Illinois. Steve is a past president of the Illinois Trial Lawyer Association, rated as one of America's top 100 attorneys, and is also a fellow in the International Academy of Trial Lawyers, of which there are only 500 members. Steve holds record jury verdicts in Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Well, with our podcast, we always start at the end. So let's start with the result. What was the monetary result of the case we'll be discussing today? It was a $25 million jury verdict for the wrongful death of a 62-year-old retired garbage man who had been married to the same lady for 41 years. Wow. Tell, tell me a little bit about the basic facts of the case. It was, it was a fascinating case from a lawyer's standpoint because the defense basically took the position at the beginning of the case that, hey, he was a two-year-old retired garbage man. How much is the case worth? And I said, well, been married for 40-some years. He was run over on the side of a road by a drunk driver who had been at two bars for approximately 10 or 12 hours drinking. And everybody was claiming that he wasn't drunk, even though his blood alcohol two and a half hours after the accident was 0.18. Yikes. So I knew that, or I didn't know, but I suspected very strongly based on my Sicilian skepticism that a jury might not take kindly to the fact that everybody was denying that the drunk was drunk mm-hmm. at the time of this occurrence and that no one knew anything about it. Did you have an offer going into trial? The offer to settle was approximately 1.3 or $1.5 million. We had told them that we would settle for about four, and they told us, good luck. How, how did the defense approach the case? Well, it was, um, it was interesting because the drunk who actually killed my guy was a very wealthy man, very wealthy, who owned a a bunch of companies and was driving a Range Rover that night. And his lawyer defended it by saying that chronic alcoholism is a terrible disease and that the owners of the two bars where he had been drinking, they should have known and they bear culpability here. The first bar that he had been at from noon till about, oh, 10 o'clock, we got the bar receipts and he had consumed about 18 ounces of alcohol while he was there. 
And then he went to the second bar where he consumed, according to them, three big glasses of wine. So the first bar said, well, he was here and he was drinking doubles and triples, but he wasn't drunk when he left. And the second bar said, well, when he came in, he wasn't drunk. And when he left, he wasn't drunk. So they were taking the old head in the sand defense mm-hmm. that even though his blood alcohol, two and a half, three hours after the occurrence was 0.18, he didn't get drunk here. And we had no reason to believe he was drunk. It was really, really a fascinating defense in the sense that I thought, I thought they would have been smarter if they had admitted liability. But they tried the all or nothing. Let's see if we can pull the wool over the eyes of the jury. Mm-hmm. D- did you do any uh, focus grouping or anything leading up to the trial? You know, I, I want to say, I don't recall, actually. It, the verdict was in 2016, so I don't recall. Tell me a little bit about the jury trial. Like how one, uh, I always like to ask what the most interesting aspect of trial was, but tell me how the trial went kind of start to finish. The lawyer for the company that the drunk owned was a tall, older man who reeked of cigarettes every day. And I didn't get close enough to him to smell his breath, but I bet he smelled of alcohol too. Hmm. I got the distinct impression that the Uh, company's lawyer that the drunk owned the company uh, was a drinking buddy, but I don't know this, of the drunk, uh, drunk defendant driver. He was the lead lawyer I called to piss off the jury. And he was the guy who would make prejudicial comments and demean my widow and try to um, put her down despite the fact that she lost her husband of 42 years. So in a sense, I called him our secret weapon because I knew that he was going to get under the skin, of, uh, the skin of people and get some people angry. And I also knew that he was going to give me some gems that I could use. The lawyer for the first bar was a younger lawyer, probably in his mid-30s, who actually was a nice guy, but... I don't think he took a realistic viewpoint that he had exposure with 18 ounces of alcohol that he served my guy over the time he was there. And then the lawyer for the second bar was also, uh, I thought she was an angry lawyer and I don't think she came across well in front of the jury because she would uh, a lot of times make comments and statements that I thought also would demean my client and the widow in front of the jury. One of the interesting stories here was that the lawyer for the company took the position that the drunk driver was not using a company vehicle at the time of this occurrence, and it was his personal vehicle. And despite the fact that the vehicle that the driver was driving was a Range Rover with license plates that had the company name on them, and it was a Range Rover. So when we asked his secretary during the course of her uh, testimony, we asked her, they asked, why did he title the vehicle in the company's name if it was his personal vehicle? And she answered and she said, well, we did that for tax purposes because 
we wouldn't have to pay sales tax in Indiana for a company vehicle. So I thought, okay, you're telling the jury you're cheating. Mm-hmm. And then it came time for me to cross-examine her. And I asked her, well, wait a minute. You say this Range Rover was not a company vehicle. Yes. And the company is a construction company, right? Yes. So I was able to look at her and ask her the following questions. There were five different vehicles registered in the company name, this construction company. Did the owner of the company use his Porsche Turbo Carrera to go to the construction job sites? No. Did he use his Bentley convertible to go to the job sites? How about his Mercedes convertible with the AMG? At this point, all the jurors were shaking their head. Why are you trying to pull the wool over our eyes and say that the truck with the license plates, with the initials of the business, are not a company vehicle when this guy's got all these these, uh, expensive sports cars? That's the caliber of the case, and that was the that was the caliber of the defense. They just took the most obvious things and tried to hide them from the jury. Mm-hmm. How long was the jury out? Uh, about three hours. And interestingly enough, it was a six-person jury. The four-person of the jury had had a DUI. There was also a juror whose wife was an insurance claim adjuster. That is interesting. Did you get a chance to talk to them after the fact? We did. Do you recall kind of what they, what their take on it was? Yes. They thought that what the defense had done to this lady was despicable. They thought the questions they had asked her on cross-examination were disgusting. And they were not happy about the denial of liability and demeaning her. They also, they asked her in cross-examination, one of the lawyers In fact, the lawyer for the company had asked her, isn't it true you lived in a trailer park at the time of this? Hmm. And she said, no, we lived in a brand new double wide and we had sold our house because we were going to build a vacation home down in Kentucky for our grandchildren. And he persisted and said, well, what didn't you live in a trailer? And those were the type of questions that uh, from what I garnered from the jury that they didn't like. And was trial in Chicago? Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana. Yes, sir. And the courthouse was so old that I thought Abe Lincoln was going to come through the door every day. (laughs) Steve, what for the attorneys that listen to our podcast, what is some what is a tangible item that they can take away from this case to help them in their practices? What is something you did or learned along the way in this particular trial that they can benefit from? Pay attention to the trial gems that you're going to get during the course of the trial. You set your case up based on what you believe the evidence is going to show and your strengths, or you set it up based on what you've learned in your focus groups. But you need to pay attention to the changing landscape. And when you get gems from a witness or from an attorney, you've got to be able to pick those up and be versatile and use those to theme your case. Mm -hmm. It became very obvious to me that they were trying to bully my client and I wasn't going to let that happen. And they're bullying. Uh, I, I, in fact, 
got to the point where I wanted to give them a little um, um, red meat, so to speak, to see if they take the bait. And they did. And they overreached, for example, with trying to make the company vehicle uh, into a personal vehicle. And I ended up bringing out all the other high-end sports cars that this guy had. Jerry didn't like that. Yep. Tell the truth. Tell the truth with what happened, who your client is, with all the warts, and don't try to pull the wool over the jury's eyes. Did they appeal? Um, they started to, and then the case settled. Wonderful. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Steve, last question. Is there anything uh, that we missed or anything else you would like to share before we sign off? No, just just don't be afraid to show the jury your warts. There's warts. People understand. Common folks understand that everybody has a history and everybody has a past. They don't like dishonesty. So show them your warts. Sound advice. Steve, appreciate you doing the podcast. Thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. 